Welcome to Creatively Curious. I'm Saskia. I'm Nick. And this is what we recently did for our wonderful movie. Movie? Yeah, we did. We made a... Oh, we. I I was there and you were you making... Were, yeah. You made an appearance. I made a an appearance. Cameo, yeah. That's what I call that. <laughs> a cameo. I had, I had several lines. Um, yeah, but this oh, is... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> supporting role. Yeah, yeah I had supporting role. And we have... So what was this for? This was for the... This was for um, a movie that... Choose Math, which is a campaign in Australia that tries to encourage high school girls to continue their math education and potentially take it to higher, um, higher education. So anything like science and math is what mm. they're particularly focusing on. Mm. Um, and they are making a movie about my work, a movie. When I say movie, everyone is really like cringing at this because it's a three-minute video yeah. that will go up on YouTube. And So it's a three-minute uh, movie. Hmm. Yeah, it's a movie. It's yeah. a big production, though. You were yeah, there. Yeah. I was there. There were... Multiple cameras. Well, no, there was one camera. Well, okay, well, there were multiple people. There were there. multiple people. There, there was the a camera. Yeah. And it was very serious. Yeah. Um, but yes, so we did a mock podcast and we had to say this introduction like maybe 500 times. Yeah, it was It was a lot. It was, um, it was yeah. It was uh, intense. Yeah. But we were in the greatest audio recording studio I've ever been in. Much better than this one, unfortunately, guys. The quality was great, and you'll never get this on this podcast. Yeah, or we could. We just have to pay for the room. Yes. Uh, it's I uh, like. It seemed like it's pretty good. They do the audio processing and everything, but then it's a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, we yeah. have exactly zero dollars on our on our budget. Unfortunately, so, yeah. yeah. So we'll have to figure this out. Um, mm. But for now, this is what you get. Yeah. And this week in particular, we're going to be doing an episode about graphics, and we have. Just pre-recorded an interview mm. with Dai Cook, who is your fabulous supervisor. supervisor. Yeah, and I'm super honored to be one of her postdocs. Um, and yeah, we're really lucky to we got um, to sit down with Dai and talk about graphics, how she came to be involved in graphics, what af, uh, what the graphics are and are, and yeah, it was just it was a really good chat. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, yeah. to hey. oh, we're we're really excited to have you here, Dai. This is uh yeah. This is good to make this happen. Yeah. So we should probably mention that Nick is your postdoc. Yep. So just to get everything out of the way. And and I make him work really hard. Yeah. So barely has time to do podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy to be a postdoc and it's great. But um, <laughs> but also that um, where did you study and how did you get into oh, graphics? So I studied my PhD at Rutgers University in New Jersey mm-hmm. and... Um, I was already interested in graphics before then. I, mm-hmm. I did my undergraduate at the University of New England in Australia. Mm-hmm. And from there I went to work at the Australian National University as a research assistant. And at that point I learned that there was an area of research in statistics mm-hmm. called data visualization, um, pretty active, few high-profile people. And um, that was at just at a time when I was getting rather bored with statistics. I realized that, oh, <laughs> there's actually an area that I'm interested in because mm. I've always been interested in art. Mm. And I always thought I'd have a career in art as opposed to mathematics. And yeah, right. um, that was a. So I really went to the USA to actually do the research there because it was one of the only places that you could re- do research in data visualization. Yeah. Did you? Um. I'm like intrigued. Was there ever like a moment of um, like, you know, oh, this is like something that I really like with visualization or like graphics? Was that like did that happen in your undergrad or was it mainly at ANU that you sort of discovered? So I didn't. Uh, 
do any sort of data graphics as an undergrad, even though I had a statistics undergraduate mm -hmm. major. Um, and it was during working as a research assistant that I made, uh, there, there was an equipment that came out that was really um, slick. It was a, a silicon graphics and also sun workstations. Where mm -hmm. Actually, it wasn't, I think it was a Tektronix originally, mm -hmm. um, where you could do a pretty cool colored rainbow likelihood ratio, uh, just likelihood plots. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah right. and so I really spent a lot of time doing those. Wasn't necessarily appreciated by the people I was working for who thought that um, contour plots made with letters were just as good as anything that came out of a rainbow. Oh, my. Those <laughs> so how but, did you go but, to being appreciated? So that was, yeah, yeah. A, a person came and gave a talk on data visualisation at ANU and um, that's when I knew that it's possible to be a statistician mm. and do research in that area. So. And so you went to Rutgers and then and you were able to study... Yeah. yeah, and then I, I landed in like the hotbed of data visualization research in New Jersey with AT&T and Belcor and people that You're have right. had actually produced an enormous array of interactive graphics software. Hmm. Even in 1990, that started back 20 years before then, so back in the late 60s and early 70s. So it was actually Belcor that I they funded my PhD and there were a whole bunch of um, amazing researchers there at the start. So my advisor was um, was there, and he he'd written what was called Data Viewer software, one of the first Symbolix Lisp computer um, software. There's a great video up on the ASA Video Lending Library. That's really the place to find out about um, all of the historical graphics research. Okay, can you explain? Um, so you mentioned Data Viewer. Um, was this so? This was a was that like an early like precursor or like an early data visualization system? Or yeah. yeah. So uh, Data Viewer actually evolved from um, a bunch of other activities. One of them was Antelope. <laughs> That's a good name. name. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. Okay. <laughs> um, there are videos of most of them. All right. And are these on the bill? Like, the, was the ASA Video Lending Lab, did you say? Was that? Yeah, the yeah. ASA Video Lending Library okay. is the go-to place. Okay. So we will find it in the show notes I am, after we find it, yeah, of course. I'm so excited <laughs> to hear about Antelope. Oh, right, yeah, right. So keep going. Antelope, yeah. yes. Um, and, so a data viewer, talk about data viewer. Yeah. It's, um, so it was written in Lisp mm -hmm. and I think one of the benefits, it was on a Symbolics, Symbolics Lisp machine. This is really hard to say. Yeah. And I think that's why it was really um, possible. It was very exciting mm. to be able to do graphics and uh, in the programming all on the one machine. Mm -hmm. um, that actually is something that probably don't realize just how, how split things were. Mm -hmm. um, so if you, if I want to do my nice colorful rainbow contour plots, yeah. contour likelihood functions, um, I actually had to go across to the computing center and sit on a special com a graphics oh yeah of course device yeah. and program it there. So you mm -hmm. could just put any data set into those, or how did would this work? Yep. So that was the general um, approach. Any kind of multivariate data was what would be passed into that so they they were general purpose systems um 
A big difference, though, was that it's all quantitative variables. So this is a big difference from back then. People were working primarily with numerical data, at least in the groups that I was involved in, and maybe a couple of categorical variables that you might do special things with. Um, But today, when we think about the tidyverse and ggplot2, all of that, I think, evolved to cater to very different data types in different columns. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have a lot more flexibility in type, uh, w- ways to plot mm. mixed types of variables. Something like data viewer would have had like grand tours and... Yeah, was... absolutely. Data viewer had a grand tour in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So a grand tour is, I think, just where you go through all the different um, variables and try to plot all of the combinations. Is that, that one's right? a little tour. That's a little tour. What's a grand tour? So a grand oh, tour is, is great. <laughs> every every possible projection. Oh, good God. Yeah. So um, and projection could be 1D, 2D, 3D, but mostly things were two-dimensional projections. So you look at all possible 2D projections. Oh, so which many. Is that infinite, could be like, yeah. yeah. Oh, you'd yeah. be there for a while. Could be. Um, <laughs> but the de- but it depends on the structure of the data. If the structure of the data is big structure then you probably don't need to be looking at it for very long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if it's really fine structure that you only see in some very small, narrow angles, mm-hmm. then you may need to be watching for a long time or, or, or get some guidance. Mm. So there's a number of different types of tours. Now you can do a guided tour, which means that you define what's interesting mm-hmm. and combine the visualization with optimization. So you, um, the projections that you show, you put more probability on the structured projections than just on random projections. So does that mean I would define, say, I want to look for something that's minimal and then you would... Yeah, so that's in terms of a function. But you could think about um, I want to look for projections that have holes in the middle. So I've got no points in the middle. I've Mm. got something empty. um, And then it'll it'll look for those particular projections, but um, in a a smooth sequence. So I'm not just jumping around... Mm -hmm. To those ones, I also look at what the data looks like going into that okay. optima and out of the optima. Hmm. Do you think we could talk a bit about so, like, we talked about these grand tour methods, but um, were these like initially developed in the so, like, was this uh, like part of that? So was the very a different... first tour mm-hmm. algorithm um, was written by a guy called Dan Asimov. Mm-hmm. He's not the science fiction. Yeah, I was like, I was like, that name sounds really familiar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so mm. Dan Asimov came mm. up with the idea, mm-hmm. I, and I think it was maybe focused on um, some physics. I'm not sure. And very quickly started working with Andreas Buyer on developing the tool methods. Mm-hmm. And then one of Andreas's PhD student, Catherine Hurley, worked on a guided tour originally. Mm-hmm. And then I picked that up in my PhD as well. Yeah, right. And and then this was and so this work was implemented in was it Xcoby? Is that the So we worked on mm-hmm. yeah, Debbie and I and Andreas worked on Xcoby mm-hmm. in the early nineties. So what did you write Xcoby with? That was in C. Ooh. And the, what, what made it possible and why it was called X, it's not X Factor. <laughs> it was oh, it the, like that. It was the X Windows system, which I think they thought maybe that was the X-Factor, but it was. I mean, X-Window mm. system was um, the first system that really enabled plotting windows mm. on okay. a kind of regular workstation. 
And it also allowed you to communicate from one computer to another. So mm-hmm. on my desktop, mm-hmm. I could pop up a window on Debbie's desktop and say, hey, look at this. That's cool. Oh, you had a chat function. I didn't know there was a chat <laughs> function. I just know X Windows is if you knew about other deck, uh, workstations around, you could remotely pop up a window and mm-hmm. display something. I, mean, I have really no cool. idea how that worked, but that was, yeah, it was super cool. That would have been fun. Yeah. That's like you had some good moments. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. And that was, and so you actually had to implement a graphic system from like from scratch then. Like. Just so you, you you needed a graphics toolkit mm-hmm. as well as a programming language. Mm-hmm. So it's just a library. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you have, you know, you had to do so a lot of numerical computations were done from calling a library. Mm-hmm. The same sort of idea. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a system that allowed you to specify. Okay, use this part of the screen. Mm-hmm. And um, where do I want to fill in the dots or draw dots or lines? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it needed that um, geometry drawing. Mm-hmm. And it also gave you menus and, I mean, a, a use, uh, what do you call it, graphical user interface. Mm-hmm. So there was additional toolkit that uh, allowed you to put um, user elements on. So things to make it easier for a user to interact and decide to change this or that on the fly or then change something else. You're right. So sort of like some options like so, but uh, so that sounds more than just a legend or something like that. Like these are tools to help explore other. User interaction. Yeah. Okay. So a menu, a slider, Mm -hmm. um, a radio button. You're right. Yeah. So like you can do in Shiny. Okay. But like in the 80s, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's great. So, when did you first come to R after having programmed in C and having done it all yourself, essentially? When did you decide? So, R? I I I saw um, R in 1994. So, I knew that Ross and Rob were working on this early on, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I I might have. It wasn't easy to get a copy. I think originally. Um, mm-hmm. So it was probably more like 97 or 98 that I started using R. Mm-hmm. Was S uh, capable of doing graphics and stuff? Yes. Or? Okay. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, S and S Plus mm-hmm. were uh, terrific graphics machines. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do, yeah, a, a lot of different um, static graphics. Mm-hmm. So that must have been really like in, in terms of that topic of having to, you know, go to a machine to specifically use like for graphics. So S would have really changed that you could do your computation yeah. and your graphics. Um, S made a big difference. Yeah. It, so everything, yeah, could be done on so on the one computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, but it's more the, the computer infrastructure rather mm-hmm. than the software, I think. So S was yep. around before then. Mm-hmm. And the graphics devices that mm-hmm. you had um, – you would basically use a printer, a graphics printer, I think, to print your graphics. Rather oh, really? Than, yeah, so that's, there's a, some legacy in the way the graphics devices in S and then R still. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes back to I need to offload my graphics to a different system to do it. Okay. Oh, All of a sudden that makes it interesting to think about the function <laughs> dev.off. If yes. that was related to, oh, I've always exactly. been like, why does that, because that doesn't make, but it makes sense if you think about printing it. Yeah. So yeah. we also had a connection between S and Xgobi. Yeah, actually, I was just yeah. about to ask this. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. so um, Debbie really did explored this with a summer research student Okay. Uh, called Nancy Hubble. And mm. um, so they they just did an inter-process communication 
So it, it, both software were running hmm. um, independently, mm -hmm. but they had a way of sending signals back and forth between them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you could run Xcobi in S. Yeah. Okay, cool. So they they had a, I don't know what the system, I think it was um, a smoothing mm -hmm. so, so that you can change the bin width in S mm -hmm. and uh, it would change the um, graphic mm -hmm. separately. So okay. It, yeah, you had to have two separate things. But so I think what you could do is actually on the graphics window, you could say, I want this bin width. Mm -hmm. That would go back to S, run the run the histogram or mm -hmm. run the density plot, yep. and then put the data back to the mm -hmm. graphics device. So this, I find this a really interesting thing to think about in terms of interactive graphics, actually. It's not just about like, writing the code to tell you like this is how I want the graphic to look it's interacting with the graphic to then update and change the code yeah and I find that so really people important. thought of s as interactive mm -hmm. and interactive graphics but it's not mm -hmm. um, that just means I script it yeah um, really interactive graphics the way we were thinking about it um, mm -hmm. Debbie and a guy called Sigbert Klinker came up with a different name mm -hmm. That does, it's not as nice to say, so it didn't really stick. But they said we should be using direct manipulation graphics mm -hmm. because it's actually operating on the graphics window mm -hmm. and making changes there. Mm -hmm. And that's even beyond having a, a GUI where you've got a slider or something. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's really, that's kind of, it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's not actually going to, pointing to something in the plot and making yeah. a change on the plot. So would that almost be like I go to a histogram and I like click on the bin and I drag it or something yeah, like that? Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting because cool. none of the other, Shiny doesn't have that functionality. No, I, I really want that. And Plotly doesn't have it either. It's like I didn't know I wanted it, but I want it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you want this. Yeah. Um, so then can you tell me about, because then there's Xgobi and then there's Gobi, which was yeah, the... Yeah, so Xwindows system, mm -hmm. that toolkit sort of starting to die a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of portability. Although I still think there's still some traces around now, um, particularly on Windows. You, you still see the DNA of old software <laughs> that still exists. <laughs> yep. You're right. Um, it does happen. <laughs> yeah, so there were a whole bunch of other graphics toolkits that were born um, and we decided it was time to rethink the whole thing again mm -hmm. and see what we could do with a different um, toolkit. So G GGOBI was written with GTK widgets, mm -hmm. G for graphics, TK for toolkit. Yeah, right, okay. Um, and by using a different toolkit, we decided we'd rethink the whole structure of the program. Mm -hmm. And one of the big differences is that Gigobi could use multiple windows. So it had a controller menu um, GUI, but you could pop up any number of plotting windows as you wanted and they all would be connected. Yeah, and so Gigobi, you could then link these things in so you could do things like brushing or painting and that sort of thing. Yeah, and you yeah, could right. have you know one really long skinny window for time series and another a really short square window for a histogram, for example. Yeah, right. Or one with a proper lap long um, aspect ratio to show a map in as well wow so this so, like, so it wasn't just like scatter plots and, and tours you could really show like it was it was yeah, quite general but we could yeah. show maps but we think of maps as data mm -hmm. it's just points and lines mm -hmm. um and then once you've got points and lines you can add other data points mm -hmm. which were your um where you actually had measured data mm -hmm. and so it wasn't maps like in google maps or anything like that it's mm -hmm. a 
Sure, but there was it was a it was a system, and you could do interactive graphics. You could have multiple windows, and there was and this was sort of the first time you could do that in that in that way, I guess, right? So, and then afterwards, after you were done with Gobi, what came next? In between XGobi and GGobi, I I did a bit of exploration with Java with a guy called Peter Sutherland. Mm-hmm. We had a package called Orca. As in O-R-C-A. O-R-C-A. Yeah, great. Um, because we were working at University of Washington while I was on sabbatical for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Sutherland's dad was actually a pioneer in virtual reality, a guy oh. called Ivan Sutherland. So he, he knew intricately the computer graphics um, community. So we were just hacked away at trying to do an object-oriented system mm-hmm. for graphics where you could pipe a lot of things together so you could construct the whole system by... You know, piping a, um, a variable selector, a data reader to a variable selector to a, a variable transform, tr- transformation to a dimension reduction to mm-hmm. a um, rescaling this yeah. and that. So you could just plug these modules together, mm-hmm. which I think was a, just a fantastic idea and we had a lot of fun. Yeah. But it was ho- horribly slow. So there's a really good paper in one of those older... Um, books called uh, Data Pipelines for Graphics. Mm-hmm. And that's a key one if you want to do graphics research mm-hmm. because it lays out, you know, what are the, it, analogously to how computer graphics had data pipe, pipelines to mm-hmm. get scenes together that have led to our fantastic animated movies. Mm-hmm. Um, data visualization, you can think about it as a set of pipes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first paper that thinks about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how you want to be able to construct a graphic system. That's so cool that you borrow from so many different fields to do this. It's amazing. Yeah, I I had no idea. It's just, it's so cool. It's like virtual reality and thinking about these things like that, which you know makes a lot of sense when you think about it. I learned a lot from colleagues, and uh, different colleagues had like Heike Hoffman had paid a lot of attention to. Um, data analysis Mm. so uh, my statistics training gave me no experience on data analysis as sad as that is I think I only had limited and (laughs) I'm not sure about Nick sort of pretty scary when you think about it but Mm. um, Anthony Unwin's group in Germany very much came from a data analysis perspective take a problem and we're going to get the data and work on the data and Mm fit the models and decide, you know, what's the appropriate model mm. to get at some um, answer to that problem. Mm. And so I first started learning much more about data analysis when Heike came to work at Iowa State mm. and then even more when Hadley came because Hadley came from the New Zealand tradition mm-hmm. with um, doing quite a lot of data work as part of his undergraduate statistics. You're right. Degree. Yeah, before that, my my graphics work was kind of more along, oh, it's a cute mathematical problem. Mm-hmm. Um but, okay. And I thought I was a data analyst, but I was had absolutely no clue when I was really confronted with the uh, problem. You're such a yeah. big name in data analysis that, like, we've been talking so much about the Bell Laboratories and, like, your early work that we forgot your more recent work, of course, with Hadley, which is so much more influential and especially probably for the R world, so much more influential. Hmm. So, yeah. It, I want to ask, actually, if you had, a like, a, a view on... Um, graphics in R going, say, from the base graphics to things like Lattice and, and then like moving on to things like GGplot. Oh, that's that was been a... a great development. Mm. So we had um, 
trellis plots to begin with, mm-hmm. and then lattice, and then um, okay. faceted. Okay, I don't think I know about trellis actually. Is that so? Well, trellis. It was by Cleveland and Fan, I think his name is, mm-hmm. and there was a couple of really nice aspects of that that haven't propagated through to lattice and um, and faceting. Mm-hmm. It, so it's basically the same thing. I, I'm going to subset the plots yeah. by a categorical variable. Mm-hmm. Um, but the okay. the nice thing that they um, additionally had is I didn't need to have firm subsets. So I could take a categorical variable and um, take a slider through that categorical variable. So I've got overlapping, mm-hmm. what are they called? The roofing tiles that overlay each other? That's Anyway, that's a name for it. Yeah, I feel like that's like when you have the slate. I think slate, but I don't think slate's quite the right word. Yeah. But it, but it is the faceting, but I have some points in common. Yeah. So that, in a way, I'm doing an interactive brushing hmm. um, as a static plot. So um, it's not discrete subsets. I've got some overlap between them, which allows me to see the sort of trend with multiple variables. So that didn't get propagated in. Interestingly no, enough. yeah, no. Mm. Uh, you guys never had a plan to make it into just make this into a GG plot. I think it's Geom. too hard. <laughs> okay, it, could, it really wrecks your data structure. It sounds yeah. like kind of funky, right? To think about overlaying categorical things because it's like kind of, yeah. I guess like you know, it, like it sort of goes against about like what I would think about with like like categorical plot. You'd like want like, you would want them separate. Yeah, yeah. You need them separate, but also if you've got some points in common, then you have. Yeah, categorical, you can sort of break the data up into chunk, 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 chunk. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But then if you're going to overlay some, you're going to have to repeat some points mm-hmm. and some points are only single. And so you're really messing up your data mm. to be able to make these multiple plots with yep. um, some overlap between them. Maybe maybe that's the thing. It just was too complicated to program. Mm. Yeah. And that was a trellis. Or like the, so it was that the was other. That was in the trellis system. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. And that was like a system, like a, was it a package or was it like it a. Was a it was okay. an S package. Okay. Yeah. All right, I see. Okay. I'm really trying to think of this word for overlaying So tiles. Lattice and, and um, ggplot, faceting, mm-hmm. evolved out of the grid graphics. So mm-hmm. Paul was working in the early 90s to mm-hmm. develop grid as his. No, it was late 90s. Okay, so this is Paul... Is Morel. It Morel, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and so that um, then um, Lattice grew from that. Okay. And the same with Digiplot 2. Yeah, right, with, okay. With graphics. Because, uh, the way I think I understood Lattice was it was... Was this around the time the book The Grammar of Graphics came out by Leyland Wilkinson? I'm just looking at the books just there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that... Was Lattice an implementation of Lattice that? Lattice was, no. Okay. Lattice has got quite a different uh, interface, user mm-hmm. interface, than ggplot. So ggplot definitely grew from the grammar of graphics. Mm. And uh, Lattice more grew from the model formula structure in R. Yep. So, yeah, yeah basically the, well, the statistical models in S, mm-hmm. I think, um, kind of had some influence on the way Lattice evolved. Mm. Um, I just want to ask actually when it was like when you were thinking about like the grammar of graphics and that sort of thing as like an idea did um because I feel like it's really taken over in a way that um I guess like so that was really Hadley so okay yeah it was a decision about what he was going to work on for his thesis mm-hmm. 
and he definitely wanted to do a graphics thesis. Mm-hmm. And that had just come out, or had been out for a few years. Okay. And he thought, okay, the way to learn it is to implement it. Mm-hmm. And when he implemented, he found there were some inconsistencies in order to actually make an implementation. Mm-hmm. And so that led to completely, I mean, it was mostly that that structure, mm. but he had to make some changes in order to get ggplot to To, to work. actually work as, yeah. yeah okay. So there was enough work in there that it really dominated his thesis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a time for doing a thesis. Mm. Do you feel like, was there a moment like when you saw how ggplot was coming together, like did you think it would be as big a deal as it is now? Like was it? I had no idea. Yeah. No, absolutely no idea. Yeah. And I mean that was entirely, I thought this was just a precursor for Hadley getting up and running with doing some graphics research. Mm-hmm. But it, it ended up dominating. It was mm-hmm. his choice to, to, to uh, let, let me ha- take a look at this and see what I can learn. Mm-hmm. And then it dominated his um, mm-hmm. thesis. We did do another part of work on high-dimensional visualization and mm-hmm. he redid GGOBI with different um, different data pipelines mm-hmm. uh, more and more flexibly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's finally been published as well. Maybe that's something that gets picked up again. Mm-hmm. Now, like I think I've seen, is it, it was called like Fly or had some play on the... Yeah, Mayfly May, and Classify mm-hmm. and Clusterfly. Yeah. Lovely packages. But that was using the RGGOBI connection so mm-hmm. that you can run all these models in pipe. Mm. Data back and forwards between GGOBI and R, mm. and R. Um, but that involves that. That's a hard connection to keep up. That connecting the two software systems. Mm. R, R's event loop just doesn't play nicely with anybody else, mm. which mm. is a big problem. It's uh, and this is some of the work that I guess Cranvas helps with. So Cranvas is this way to link. Is so that Cranvas is, that right? is using a different widget set again, okay. using Qt, which we thought at the time. Mm-hmm. was going to be more dominant, but mm-hmm. JavaScript has since, mm-hmm. um, and web, graf- web graphics has really dominated. Mm. Um, Qt was in Nokia phones and we thought mm. it would be in everywhere. Mm. And it really has a, that you can actually script the interactive graphics in R, which mm. is really cool, which means that you can make up your own new interactive graphics easily. You've got all of the building yeah. blocks in there. Which you could kind of do with X lists that, by the way. You could make up new interactive graphics easily yeah. that would all link together. The only thing is it wasn't pretty and you couldn't tailor it to be really attractive yeah. graphics. I love hearing these little like almost like these Easter eggs of X <laughs> of X Lisp stat. That is it's a bit tricky to say. Um I feel like it just seems like it was doing all of this stuff that was too, like you can't like like as you said, you can't really do it now. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, I don't know, I just find that so interesting that mm-hmm. it's like that's why everyone is reading Lisp stats books again. Yeah, yeah. This whole problem with the interactive graphics, I just find it's—I uh, know—it's so hard to because um, I feel like there is interaction now with things like mouse over and that sort of thing, and, and things like Plotly. But I feel like nothing has quite like—it still doesn't feel like there's a complete system yet. I don't know. Like, no, it's, it's uh, a really active area of research right now. Yeah, it's a few groups working on trying to get our new, real, really general system together. Mm. Yeah, but it, the big thing to realize is it's so much easier for everybody at mm. the moment to do that basic work, yep. to do yeah. Um, yeah, identification and some simple linking between plots. Yeah. Mm. So, is, so do we still need interactive graphics if we have these great GUIs that we can all do mm. relatively easy exploration with ourselves? Yeah, because a GUI is not enough. You need to be able to link multiple plots to see through um, the relationships between more than two variables. Mm. 
Awesome. So we really do need them. Yeah. But um, you, you, you also, when you when you want to do interactive graphics by modifying a plot, that plot has to react fast to people and accurately. So mm. if you put your cursor down and select some things, you need to know that it's actually getting that. And right now the precision with Plotly is not fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that, that brushing is a little bit not s- as satisfying as it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you also did some of your research, obviously, has also been cognitive and perceptual aspects of the data display mm-hmm. in that area. So I would love so this you is, to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, this is kind of newer for me. So um, I did do a computer graphics course as a graduate student, and I did work with a person in virtual reality at Iowa State in the mid-90s, and it was just unavoidable to know about perspective and um, a bit about perception mm. from that group, from computer graphics. But it's not; it was not in the sense connecting with psychology, and that's much later, mm-hmm. and I think that's definitely from... Um, from Hayek's influence in terms of designing the plots and, and, and making them much better and more readable. I learned some things. And then the work with uh, visual inference of connecting up graphics with um, inferential statistics. Uh, cognition is a really important part of that, is how, what are people actually seeing mm. when, they, when you give them a plot? And, you know, we have this we have had this tendency... Um, and I had that tendency early on, you know, to try to make the perfect plot. Mm. It's not about making the perfect plot. You know, you, it, it, the more you pack into the plot, the less people can see. Yep. Yes. So it's really important to know what it is you're expecting people to see if you're going to make a plot to communicate something. Right? <laughs> now, that's different from most of what I was doing, which was just exploring. And then you want to be as general as possible so you're not, imposing some structure on people Mm -hmm. but once you have some structure then there's clearly um, some ways to display it that help other people see it faster than maybe what you saw it Mm -hmm. so that's a perception part and I think there's a lot more research to do in that regard we we really haven't done too much from a statistics perspective but I think the information visualization community is much better Mm. um, in that regard Um, the interesting part about your work is that you test some of your assumptions about perceptions, which I think is super novel for statisticians, because while we're in the business of analyzing data, we're not often in the business of like really testing our, like, at least in visualization, like I hadn't until I've seen your work, had never heard of anyone testing whether that works or not. Hmm. Sure, we do it with tests. We figure out whether they sort of are roughly what mathematically they should be, but yeah, we never do it never do it with visualization. So that really dates back to Cleveland's work in the 80s as well. So he set up a just an in-house exper- experiment with people and their spouses um, taking a big package of plots back home to ask, ask them to do, do different comparisons. And so his, his work probably is the first in cognitive perception for statistics and that sets up the hierarchy of how you map your variables to graphical elements. Mm-hmm. So if, whenever you can, you you ali- you map your variable to a position along a line, mm-hmm. so that you've got something to 
to compare against an axis. And that way people return the most accurate information. Um, and color is the, if you map a continuous variable to color, people have an almost impossible task of returning the information back to you. So that that's really the, I think, probably the birth of cognitive perception in statistics. Mm. And that's an important thing to, to be able to assess those, that hierarchy, you um, need to do some testing. Mm. So you need to do some comparisons. The problem is that the way that's measured is by accuracy. And the point of graphics is not necessarily to be accurate. Um, it's to be um, broader comparisons. Mm. So you, if you really want accuracy, you report your stuff as a table and mm. then people can read precisely what what they need off. Um, so accuracy is not the only thing that you want from a graphic. Mm. Um, but you definitely don't want to distort people's Perception. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I find this so interesting. Like, just like it, it makes sense when you say it, but like to really hear it, you know, that like, you, like the point of a graphic isn't to be accurate like that. Like you don't need that super precision. It's it's about something broader than that. And, yeah, yeah. It's it's about picking up irregularities that mm. you wouldn't have been able to pick up by yeah. being very precise. Mm. We're good. I'm not sure. I'm, I think we're. I think we're, we're good. Yeah. This has been super awesome. Thank you so much for. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. This has been great. So I hope you enjoyed our chat with Dai and um, this week there is no puzzle. Maybe next time. No, next time there won't be a puzzle either because we'll have a special episode mm. next time planned. Um, Could that be like a Christmas special? A Christmas, I guess it is. It will be a Christmas special. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Nick and me are going to the Unconf and we're thinking about making an Unconf related um, podcast but more about that next time mm. so until then this is all we have so uh, i just want to quickly uh, oh. to say thanks so much to die as well oh, for yeah. taking the time oh, yeah. it was really Absolutely. great um oh, wait no, 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 i need to tell people to um, oh subscribe yeah okay subscribe um like share subscribe review is that what it is review yeah star favorite um, favorite Tweet, retweet. Mm. Let us know. You can email Tell us if friends. you have. Yeah, yeah. Your friends, family, grandmas. Um, Not your grandma. I mean, like, you know, we don't know who people's grandmas are. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Okay, if your um, grandma, like, knows anything about computing, yes, tell your grandma. Yeah, or your grandfather. Um, in any case, extended family are welcome. Um, but also, um, feel free to email us if you have any feedback or questions at crediblycurious at gmail.com. Yes, or, or at crediblycurious on Twitter. We'll have our DMs are open, so just send us a message. Mm. And that's it. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.